Well, good morning, everyone. I was just sitting there enjoying the ambience and the music at the church in which I grew up, and suddenly someone in the band pointed to me. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. That was really You're good. You're welcome. I think the kids are looking forward to hearing what you have to say, Pastor. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. So, um, I'd like to talk to all of you together now um, at all ages, and I'm aware that you're used to that here, but specifically, I'm going to go down and talk to the youngest in the room as well. So if there are any youngest in the room that want to come that aren't down here, you're welcome to join me too. So let's see what happens when I do this. Oh, yes, good. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. Um, My name is Matt, and I might look very old to you. Oh, thank you. You're so nice. What's your name? Grace, you are just so gracious and graceful because you didn't call me old. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Now, um, I grew up here and I can remember when I was your age sitting here and I turned out okay. (laughs) So, so this... Hi, guys. Now, I want to show you a story. I need everyone's help with this story. Everyone needs to join in with some words in this story that we're just going to say and the old people can do it too. So... (laughs) If the words are on the screen, I'll say the first bit and, and you just yell out the next bit. Ready? It goes, Dennis Diderot doesn't keep old things. And then you have to yell out, he wants all new things. Ooh, they're not bad here, are they? What? My name's Matt. I don't know yours. William. Excellent name. There's a street here, like, with that. So, ready with, are you ready with the words? As loud as you can, everybody. Dennis Diderot doesn't keep old things. He wants all new things. Well done, kids. So, there's this guy called Dennis Diderot. This is a made-up story, actually, but it's a real person that did exist. And he, he just always didn't like old things. He always wanted something new. Do you know anyone like that? Just someone who just, they have to have a new shirt. They have to have new stuff all the time, and you know who they are. Because when they walk in a room, oh, it's you, is it? That's very good. Uh, so, for instance, he had a pencil, and it snapped. But he didn't want it sharpened. He wanted a brand new pencil. So he whinged and whined and complained until he got a brand new pencil. Because Dennis Diderot doesn't keep old things. He wants wants all all new things. things. Okay. Dennis Diderot wants the new clothes. When when he walks in, you know. All new. And um, he had some shorts. Some. Do you call them bathers down here? Yes. Where I come from, we call them togs. Do you call them togs? No, it's weird. Anyway, so he had these shorts, these togs, these swimmers, these bathers. He didn't like them because, you know what, they were brand new like a year ago. So he got some new ones so that he could go go to Glenelg, which is much like the Sunshine Coast where I come from. Because Dennis Diderot doesn't keep old things. Ready? He wants all new things. Okay. Um, His dad gave him an old mobile phone. Would you like a mobile phone? You already... Oh, right. Well, you're pretty lucky because I didn't get one when I was young. And I still blame my parents for that. You can ask them. Um, <laughs> so his mum and dad gave him like an old Samsung phone. He didn't like it. So he waited in line for three days at an Apple store until he got the latest brand new iPhone. Would you like a brand new iPhone? I'll ask your parent, ask your parent for you later. I'll say, yeah, they, they, they did pretty good. But I don't think you'll get one. Dennis Diderot doesn't keep old things. He wants all new things. So he had, um, I don't know what that is. Do you know what that is? It's a Nintendo Wii. Excellent. But then he got a... Game Boy. Oh, it's a Game Boy Advance. And then he got... 
What have you got? Have you got one of these things? PS4. Dennis Diderot doesn't like PS4 because he's got PS5. <laughs> Dennis Diderot doesn't keep old things. Ready? He wants all new, new things. things. And I could go on and on about this story. He had an old Hyundai car, but he didn't like that. No, so he bugged his mum and dad and he made them so embarrassed and he got a Tesla. Whoops, that was supposed to be a Jeep Compass, but something. <laughs> Dennis Diderot doesn't keep old things. Wants all new things. Finally, he had this lovely girlfriend and he loved her and she loved him and, you know, they were in love and everything. But, you know, he just got sick of it. He just wanted someone new. So what do you think of... Where should this... That's not right, is it? <laughs> no, let's not finish this story. <laughs> let's just say, are you with me, kids? Dennis Diderot doesn't keep old things. He wants all new things. Now I have a question for you. What is Dennis Diderot's problem? It's missing a word there. Hey? It's my fault. What is his problem? Can you think? Does he have a problem? Yeah, can you help me with what his problem might be? Yeah, it's really up to you two guys because it's New Year's Day. Yeah? Selfish. He's selfish. Selfish. Yeah. Yeah, anything more? Would you like to hang around with Dennis Diderot? No. Well, he wouldn't keep you for long. He'd, <laughs> <laughs> he'd get new friends. Oh, any other thoughts? Hmm. This is a tough one. I'm going to ask you to talk maybe later on to someone older than you. Maybe a parent, maybe not. What is Dennis Diderot's problem? But I've got one more question for you. Is God like Dennis Diderot? Are you sure? Wait. No, no, no. What if God decided to dump all of the old people because all the old people did the wrong things and just say, nah, stuff that, I'm getting, getting all new. God doesn't work that way. Okay. Dennis Diderot is the opposite of Jesus. Does William have something? Yeah? We, we just, yeah. William, just go for it. William. He's not grateful. Oh, that's awesome. That is the best ever because, everybody, William just defined faith for you, by the way. Faith in God is gratitude, is being grateful and thankful. Yeah, that's his problem. But here's the, the good thing is that Jesus is not like that. He will not chuck you out. He will not say, you stuffed it, I need to get a new one because William's, nah, forget it. He will always want to keep you and always be faithful to you and always, always want to look after you and renew you. So that's what I'm going to talk about in the sermon. You've got some awesome New Year and Christmas activities to do. Some butterflies. And you have been so helpful. I, I think it must be really tough when, like, there's almost no kids because it's New Year's Day. So would you give these guys your gratitude? Yeah. Your hands? <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, let's, um, let's hear the Word of God. Let's hear the Bible reading. it was. Um, today's Bible reading comes from Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 to 6, the new Jerusalem. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. 
I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Pastor Matt. <laughs> Let's just pause and pray before we reflect on God's word together. Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you for this new day, this new hour, this new second and minute, and this new year. As we focus on the word now before us, we welcome your Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, Spirit of truth, Spirit of conviction and counsel and wisdom. And may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. Let me now tell you the true story of Dennis Diderot who was a witty French philosopher about 300 years ago. I love philosophy and I, I'm not really into French philosophers actually. They're a bit rubbish. They've done the worst stuff. But Denis Diderot records a journey that is now actually used in modern psychology and marketing and has become one of the bedrock foundations of our modern way of life. And this is how it goes. Denis Diderot born in 1713, was poor, very poor, because philosophy doesn't pay. Do you know any philosophers who, who do it for a living? Uh, he had been used to being poor all of his life. He'd had basically no money at all. And his daughter was getting married, and he couldn't pay for the wedding. So he appealed to the Empress of Russia, Catherine the Great. And for some reason, she decided to benefit this strange French philosopher, and she gave him a packet load of money. She gave him money, 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 more money than he'd ever had before. And all of a sudden, Denis Diderot, the poor French philosopher, had more money than he knew what to do with. All of his life he'd been scraping, and now he could do whatever he wanted. So he thought to himself, you know what, besides paying for the wedding, I can, I can do things. So I'm going to buy myself a nice red robe. And this is what he did. This is a true story. You can look it up. He bought this lovely scarlet robe and he sat in his old house on his old chair with the old rug and the old furniture and looked at his fancy scarlet robe and started to notice a difference. Everything else was tatty and messy and grubby. And so he thought, this won't do, this won't do. So he bought himself a new Arabian yeah, beautiful, an Arabian carpet, which um, back then, pretty fancy still, right? So he sat there on his old straw chair on the new rug with the new robe. 
And he looked around the room and he thought, this won't do, this won't do. The chair doesn't match, so he got himself a new chair. So there he is, new robe, new chair, new carpet, and Dennis Diderot records this story of materialism and consumerism growing within him. As he looked around the room, he just said, that table, that table doesn't match the rug and it doesn't match the chair. So he got himself a nice new table. And the story continues as he records how um, his experience of materialism became all-consuming and all because of one robe, he had to replace everything in his house, a new mirror and new sculptures and new furniture and new everything. And Dennis Diderot <laughs> records, yeah, he writes this, I was absolute master of my old dressing gown, but I have become a slave to my new one. That's very, did you hear it? I was master of my old dressing gown, but I have become a slave to my new one. And researchers have labelled what Diderot experienced the spiral of consumption. When, by the way, when I was a kid growing up at Paravista at, at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, we had, instant, we had instant coffee, international roast in tins. None of you would be happy with that anymore, right? That's another psychological effect, um, but we won't go into that. But marketers now... The best psychologists are often employed not to help people but by marketing companies. You know that, right? And they employ what they call the Diderot effect to get you to buy stuff all the time. I know this because I've seen certain members of my family <laughs> fall to this too. So what happens when you buy the new car? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, See how they do? Well, you need the protection and the tint and the floor mats and the fluffy dice. And this is actually what they do. It's a well-known psychological effect, the Diderot effect. You can look it up. Um, but what they don't tell you is the Diderot effect describes an experience well-known and well-researched and documented that new stuff can make you sadder. New stuff can make you less satisfied and that is a measurable thing on objective measures of satisfaction, happiness, joy in life. New stuff can make you go down the scale. This is a really great message to preach the week after Christmas, isn't it? <laughs> Have you ever walked into a brand new house and because they got a brand new, I don't know, independent living unit at Paravista Retirement? For, for instance... You walk into a brand new place, but because they moved, they had to get brand new everything to fit. And it feels sterile. It feels clinical. You know that? Um, that's actually part of the Diderot effect. That your unit is beautiful, my dear mother. It is lovely, and you didn't get all brand new things. The old things fit beautifully. And they even got rid of some. So, here we are on New Year's Day, thinking about new, thinking about chucking out last year and getting rid of the old, and I'm going to... Oh, we got it. And I want to ask the question, what happens to... And this is your opportunity to do some sociology, that is the, the, the study of groups of people. Everyone can do this. Um, I want to ask the question, what happens to a culture 
to a nation, to a people that get all new things, that are obsessed with all new things. What happens to a culture where when New Year's Day comes, we say, yay, forget last year, stuff the old, let's all have new things. What happens in a culture where the primary way of living becomes not repair, but replacement? Because that's what our culture is becoming, I think. And we do this not just physically with things, but we do this with ideas. So in Western civilization, it's very popular now to note that we've done some things wrong. And so there's an idea that we need to chuck out all that we had before, all that we believed before, and start with something different, completely different and new. Um, what happens to people in their relationships when, when it just, it's got to be new all the time? Because, you know, um, the, the same person... I was on a plane um, to Adelaide once. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't. It was Sydney, sorry. And the guy next to me asked me, you know, about my love life. I told him I was married happily for 20 years. And he said, no offence, mate, but I don't want to have roast lamb for every night for the rest of my life. And, uh, well, what I said to him, I realised was heard by everyone around me. I said, no offence, mate, but until you've committed to someone and known their, their, their sadness and their joy and their tears and, and every crevice of their body and committed to that, even when it's tough, and committed to their joy, and they've committed that to you, you will never know what lovemaking truly is. And there was silence in the plane. It was like, oh, I said that. But anyway, my, my question to you is, and I'll ask you to talk about this now, what happens... When a people get obsessed with all new things? What happens to a culture when replacement becomes our primary way of living and being and doing? Replacement instead of repair or renewal or restoration. Um, would you, do you do that here? Talk about it. I, I, I'd like to ask you what you think too, but we'll just see how we're going for time. Tell someone what you think. You can say to them, everything I've said is rubbish to this point, and that's fine too. But the question is, how do you see that developing for a culture and a people and a country and a civilization? Off you go. Have some fun with this. If you don't like that, you're welcome to just think about it too. Okay, let's keep going. Now, let's get to the Word of God. Let's get to, let's, let's get to what is more important than that question, which is, what is the gospel say, and what is, got it. <laughs> what does God say to this? So we're at, we're at New Year's Day. We're at a day where we say, out with the old and in with the new. And we just heard before a reading from the very end of the Bible. We heard from Revelation chapter 21. Uh, Revelation is a series of visions uh, received by the Apostle John. And this is the fourth and final vision in the book of Revelation. And... In this vision, we see a new heaven and a new earth. Don't worry about the fact there's no sea, because that, that really hurts me. Um, sea here is a symbol of chaos and darkness and disorder. There's none of that. And so John sees everything, everything is new. Everything is made new. And at this point, we hear a voice, the voice of God, who is Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and he says, in the old language, Behold... I am making all things new. Would you say those words with me? Behold, 
I am making all things new. And this is where we can go so wrong so quick because with our modern Western consumerist ears, and Lorraine rightly pointed out to me, we're forced. We're forced to replace rather than repair because that's not even an option anymore much of the time. But with our modern Australian ears, the word new can go very wrong very quick when we read the scriptures here. Because when Jesus says, I am making all things new, he's telling us his mission for eternity and for the universe and for us. And many of us might hear this word new and automatically think he's going to chuck out the old earth and he's going to chuck out the old heaven and get a new one, replacement, because that's how we use language. To us, the word new tends to mean um, never here before. Is that fair to say? Never here before, never seen, brand new. But in the Bible... There are often more words for a thing than we have. For instance, you know that the Bible has a number of words for love, right? The Bible also has a number of words for new. And it's really important to know this because the scriptures change our worldview and they come at us with a completely new way of seeing the world. And one of those new ways is a new kind of new. A different kind of new. A kind of new that modern Western people have probably started to forget, but is so radically important because it frames the entire way that God in Jesus Christ works. Everything about the way that God works in Jesus Christ for us, for our salvation, is this kind of new that the scripture uses that we don't use much at all. So let me show you what I mean. I'm getting used to it. There are two words in the New Testament for new. Can I have the next screen? It's, I'm just uh, challenged with this. In the New Testament... There's that word new. Let's get back to that in a moment. There are actually two words for new. One of those words you are familiar with probably. It's neos. Neo. We use that in all sorts of ways. And this word means brand new, new in age, never existed before. Like a brand new Jeep compass that just rolled straight off the assembly line. Maybe faulty, but but never existed before. Now, to me, with my modern English ears, that's what new usually means. Is that what new means to you? Neos, neo. It's never existed before. It's that, here it is. But there's another word for new in the New Testament, and you're going to have to guess which of those two news the New Testament is, by the way. There's another word for new that the Bible uses constantly, which is kainos, which is new in quality. Not new in age, not new um, chronologically, but new in quality. And this word means new in the same way that the other word means new. It's, it's still new, but it's a kind of new that we've forgotten about. It's something that's restored, revived and renewed. It's fully and totally and wonderfully new. It's new. But it existed before, and it's been remade, reconditioned. One of my friends, Pastor Nathan Head, has he been here? He should. I'll tell him. He bought a 1970 Mini, and it was rusty and cruddy, and it, it was just, it was a stupid purchase. 
Uh, he was on holiday, he saw this thing, and he just, you know, 500 bucks, it's yours, and he took it. Um, and it cost him far more than he expected. And everyone said to him, this car's just, it's just got to be junked, compacted, forget it. But he worked on this car for a decade, and um, there were times when he was very, very depressed, and uh, we would talk on the phone, he'd say, I think I'm done, it's just time to give up. But he finished. And, he, and it's red. That's good. And now this car is absolutely pristine. It's amazing. It's worth more than when it rolled off the assembly line 50 years ago. It's worth more than that. And its value will continue to increase, which is like you, by the way. Your value will continue to grow and increase. And when you look at that car, it's new. And that's Kynos new. Got it? So, when we read the Bible and the New Testament, it's important to understand that sometimes the word there is a bit bigger than we think. And this kind of new, kainos new, by the way, this frames the whole way that Jesus works. For instance, think about the miracles of Jesus. He did a lot of things where things became new, where people became new, where there was new food, where there was, yeah, new, new ligaments, new eyes, new ears. Um, did Jesus tend to do kind of just straight up magic, make poof, things just appear out of the air. No, because that's rubbish. That's not the way of Jesus. Jesus actually did kainos new all the time. He took the old and he recreated it to what it was supposed to be. And so here's some examples of this word in the New Testament. Got it. Would you say the word new when I get to it? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a... New creation. The old has been transformed. See, it has become new. Now, I don't know, this, this Bible passage is often poorly translated because it's got kainos new, kainos, kainos. It's not that God says, well, you know, Tina's, she's getting old, we'll just dump it and start again. God actually transforms, restores and revives this new creation that you are is still you. You don't lose the you that you were. You become what you were made to be originally. And another example of this word in the New Testament is in the same way also he took the cup after the supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Um, For those who love theology and language, new covenant, kainos diathiki, which is also translated new covenant. Do you know? New Testament. Those are the exact words for what we call that latter part of the Bible. New Testament, New Covenant, same thing. In fact, I honestly, I look at it and think it would be better if we called the two parts of the Bible Old Covenant and New Covenant. But notice what is being said here. This is really important. Um, are we chucking out the Old Testament as embarrassing as it is? Oh, No. We are taking it and restoring it and renewing it and resetting it to what it was meant to be. It's not being chucked out. There's a thing called replacement theology, which some modern Christians are into. We're not into that because it's restoring and reviving the old. I'm hoping some of you who have grey hair, which I'm getting to, hear good news here because God... This is the primary mode of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not replacement, 
but renewal. Um, one more, and then I'll move to the close. <laughs> we were buried with him by baptism into death. That's the way he works. In order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in new life. So hear me clearly now. We're starting a new year. One of the temptations is to say, that was a bad one. Wipe it, forget about it, move on. Let's do something completely new that was not done before. But this is not actually the mode of the gospel. This is not actually how Jesus works. See, Jesus doesn't invalidate everything that ever happened to you before and say, that was rubbish. Jesus comes to you and says, you know the problems, the trials, the temptations, the struggles, the failings, the falls, you know the pain, the suffering. Jesus says that had meaning. That was leading somewhere. And who you are is still, it's growing to who I want it to be, who I made it to be, and those things are purposeful. This is a kind of new that says, Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to chuck you and I'm going to chuck everything that happened to you, but instead you have value, you have meaning, and what happened is going somewhere. So let's finish this up with some practical examples. Hey, hey. On Christmas Day, I preached at Witter Lutheran Church on the Sunshine Coast with an average attendance of 15 people. And two young farmers walked in and they had all the, you know, the look. These guys were tough and rough. The hats, R.M. Williams, everything. And... They'd not been to church, these guys, since their baptism, uh, which was 20-something years ago for both of them. And we got to the forgiveness of sins, and one of them, I thought he was in trouble. He looked like he was going to cry. And then we got to the sermon, and he just started crying, and the other guy did too. And then we got to communion, and I explained what that was and said, um, if you are sorry for your sins if you're repentant and you trust these words given and shed for you, come on down. And these guys both wept. And one of them came up to me afterwards and was just like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I've never heard this before. See, I thought that you Christians believed that God hates the bad people and wants to chuck them out and annihilate them. He thought, he thought that he was done for in our way of thinking. He thought that the whole Christian message was bad people down, good people up, Bad people junk them, good people reward them. That's what he thought. And what he heard at Christmas was, God loves you so much that you're a keeper. You're a keeper. God would never dump you. God would come down and die to keep you. God would be born in a manger to keep you. And for him, that was transformative because he is now new. And uh, obviously, I'm going to be meeting with him down the track and we're going to be taking that further. Um, in Nambour, the town where I live, we work with uh, the homeless all the time and it's a pain in the ass. It's hard work. And yet what we see is we see people becoming new and 
You see, the fundamental way that Christians look at human beings is none of them are for junking because God takes the old and restores it. God doesn't say, crush it, burn it, replace it. God says, keep it, love it, cherish it, forgive and grace it. And so we see people who, um, particularly through the work of another local church that work inside our church, we see the people becoming new. Let me finish by saying this is a painful process to become new for a sinner. The Christian faith encapsulates two great things. It encapsulates the most painful truth and the greatest ever promise. This is why I am a Christian, because we're honest. Our faith has the most painful truth, doesn't it? That the world does not want to hear, that I don't want to hear. I want you to all come up afterwards and say, mate, you're, you're such a top person. But the most painful truth about me is that I'm a sinner. And my young adult children know that very well. They see it very clearly. But the most painful truth about us is that we are broken and that we are not perfect. And just look at the world, watch the news in the last three days. We do that stuff. That is who the human race are. And this most painful truth is made all the better because of the most beautiful hope. The most beautiful hope we have is that God's not going to junk it all. Not one atom, not one molecule, not one electron or subatomic particle. God's not gonna, he's not going to junk it. That's not how revelation works. He's going to restore it. He's going to keep it. You're worth it. And so the most beautiful hope that we have is that God makes all things new. All things This is the mission of Jesus Christ. Upon his resurrection, he now makes all things new. And that means you. It means you. As we start a new year, let's start in the hope. Not that God would erase our culture, erase our past. Not that all of that would be forgotten but that instead we would see God's gracious purpose in that and see God's work of restoration. And so let me say this to you. Um, New Year's resolutions, whatever. Please do not start this new year in your own power, in your own commitment, trusting your own promise, your own willpower. That is not the Jesus way. Start this new year by looking at the cross, seeing that you're a keeper, that God would die for you. Start by hearing Jesus say, I'm already making you new. And just say yes in your heart to Jesus. Because that's how true change starts. Not with my decision and power, but with what he does. And he will, and he is. So would you say with me, notice the word behold has gone, and we're back to the uh, modern translation. Revelation 21 verse 5. See, I am making all things new. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Right, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you're not into chucking out all the sinners. Thank you that you don't treat us like rubbish. Thank you that you're not like Dennis Diderot. Thank you, Jesus, that you look at us 
and you deem us worthy of restoring. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. And Lord Jesus, as we hear you say, I am making all things new, I'm already doing this, we say to you in our hearts, yes. Say to Jesus in your heart, yes. Amen.